When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend this past weekend. Welcome to episode number 76 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I'm your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. It is beautiful outside. It is like 90 or so degrees. It it feels so weird. We haven't had this kind of weather in so long. It's either been uh, humid and disgusting outside or raining or freezing cold. It's like one of the first few days in a long time that we've truly had summer weather. Am I right? Like it feels so nice and so relaxing to actually have summer weather in the month of July. Before I go any further though, I do have to give a shout out to my father, RIP dad. Today is his birthday. He would have been 59 years old today. So happy birthday, dad. Rest in peace. Miss you so much. I love you so much. If those that remember on episode number 19 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk way back when, then you would remember that I also dedicated episode 19 to him as well. Here, episode 76, dedicating this episode to my dad. Wish he could be a part of this. I know he would love it. I know he would join. And not just the podcast, but the shop as well. And since I'm talking about the shop, I guess I'll give a brief update before we go into our topics for the day, which are locked and loaded with a bunch of, like, you know, we're going to talk, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's see, the shop, most of the furniture is up. Most of the furniture is up. We still have some micromanaging to do. We still got to get the TV, the floating shelves, and some pictures hung up. Got to get a futon, sofa, whatever. I got some tables in. The cards are being organized as we speak, probably as you're listening to this. I will be organizing the cards. I've been there 12 days in a row, I believe it is now. I think today's the 12th day. I was there for like five minutes earlier today, but I'll be back later today. After I record and publish this episode, I'll actually be back at the shop. So 12 days in a row, no days off. Absolutely none. Not until we can figure, not figure it out, but get it done, right? Because there's so much to be done. And I want to make sure the shop is ready for opening day. Whenever that is, it is to be determined. But I want the shop to be ready to go. You know, I don't want it to be half-assed. I want it to be fire, lit, amazing, awesome, homey, in a place for you to come talk about sports, to talk about cards, talk about your favorite team, your favorite player, a destination of sports. And that is my inevitable goal. So that is why this process is having its due diligence done so carefully and meticulous. But that is a brief update about Murph's Card Town and Sports Shop. Obviously, I have to jump through all the legal hoops to do this and do that. No big worries, hopefully. Still have to go to the, uh, I have to go to Cranston, Rhode Island to do something with the state. I tried calling before I recorded, but they didn't answer. So I'll probably have to either go after the episode or maybe even tomorrow, depending on how long we're chatting here, talking about the topics at hand. And speaking of which, I know I kind of got ahead of myself, but let's kind of dive right back into it. Today's topics, Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson, finally, finally are willing to trade. Well, I guess the Texans are finally willing to trade Deshaun Watson. Talk about the Padres making the second splash in the trade market. Obviously, Nelson Cruz was traded to the Rays. Padres, they acquired somebody to help them in their inevitable postseason push. Talk about that. We're also going to talk about potential trade targets that I see 
being options come Friday, the trade deadline for potential teams. I have a list of, I don't know, 10 to 12 players, and I'm going to talk about where I think these potential players go ahead of July 30th, which today, this year it's on July 30th, which is a Friday. I guess they didn't want it on a Saturday, which I kind of thought was stupid. I mean, they play baseball every single day of the week. But I get front office, man, uh, GMs, president of baseball operations, they want their damn Saturday off. Whatever. Trade deadline, July 30th this year. It is what it is. So we're going to talk about my potential trade targets and where I think these potential targets will land come July 30th. We're also going to talk about Red Sox and their uh, recent series against the Yankees. And then if we have time, which we probably will because this isn't really a scheduled program, I will dive in and talk a little bit about the NHL draft and the Bruins in terms of you know who they were able to select and what the future might potentially look like for those Boston Bruins. Because in my opinion, you got to wait till we talk about it, but in my opinion, this draft is very crucial for them. This past draft was super crucial for the Boston Bruins moving forward, and I'll explain why later on. But let's go back to the first topic, and that is Houston Texans finally willing to listen to offers on Deshaun Watson. Now, basically ever since he came out and said that he wanted to be traded, which was I think in like March or something, the Texans said we're not trading him. Nope, nope, nope. Nick Casario. My goodness, I have such a problem saying that damn name. Anyways, what is it going to potentially take for a team to trade and acquire Deshaun Watson? Well, we do have our answer, so no need to... Uh, fiddle around trying to come up with bullshit packages. And the Texans' price for Deshaun Watson currently sits at a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players. Whoa! That's a steep, heavy package. And quite frankly, if any team gives the Texans that package, they're out of their mind. Why? Deshaun Watson, top five quarterback in the league right now. Super young, fat, thick contract. Okay, yeah. But look at the off-field stuff, though. He still has those legal lawsuits pending, those civil charges, whatever the hell they are going on. If that was all squared away and he had no off-field troubles or off-field issues going on in the legal side of things, then five a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players would make sense. Yes. However, he could get suspended at any damn point in time if something comes out, he's found guilty for doing this or doing that to um, any woman, really. Then the trade is going to be a complete bust for whoever's receiving Deshaun Watson because he's going to be suspended for X amount of games. And it's just a PR thing that no team wants to have to handle. I mean, let me put it this way. Let's say the Patriots needed a quarterback. No Cam Newton, no Mac Jones. You had Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham, right? And I know the Patriots were kind of linked to Deshaun Watson early on before they drafted Mac Jones. Well, would you want the Patriots to give up a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players for Deshaun Watson? who's probably, I don't want to say in a worse situation than Antonio Brown was when you brought him in, but at least Antonio Brown was a free agent. You didn't have to give up any draft picks, any draft assets, any starting caliber players. You just had to give him money. So it, made, it was a little bit easier decision. Obviously, it ultimately didn't work out, but that's besides the point. What team, what would you want the Patriots to trade five high draft picks and starting caliber players for Deshaun Watson? Right now, no. You have Mac Jones. Say what you want about Cam Newton. I think Mac Jones will be the quarterback, the starting quarterback by the end of the year. And you just had a, uh, you just spent a first-round draft pick on him, so it makes absolutely no sense. I just don't see the Texans getting this. Now, what's a high draft pick? First round, second round? Now, what if you're a team like the, for, for instance, the Colts, right? They made the playoffs. They did acquire Carson Wentz, but let's just put that aside. I just want to use the Colts for an example. Made the playoffs, didn't make it far. So if the Colts give three first-round picks and, say, you know, two second-round picks, well, all of those picks are relatively going to be later in the first and second round. 
because, you know, the Colts are a good young team as they are. You bring in Deshaun Watson. They're probably a Final Four contender, right, to be in the AFC Championship game. It just, I don't know. And at that point, is it worth it for the Texans to move them when you're going to be getting uh, round one, pick 29, round one, pick 30, round one, pick 31? You know, as those draft picks eventually fall into place with each year that the Colts finish, if it, the Colts were to hypothetically trade for Carson Wentz, um, trade for Deshaun Watson if they didn't have Carson Wentz. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but I was just using the Colts as an example because I didn't want to use the Patriots again. I think any team to give up this asking price that the Texans have for Deshaun Watson is absolutely absurd. Now, what do I strongly believe in could be uh, the final selling price for Deshaun Watson? Honestly, probably two first-round picks, a second, and maybe like a fourth. Some, some, something like that. He's a young player. He's one of the best quarterbacks in this league, top five quarterback in the league. He just signed a new fat contract, so he's going to be under contract for a long period of time. It is expensive. However, look at the trend that quarterbacks are starting to get signed at. It's not too, too bad, right? And if you're a team, let's just pick the Dolphins, right? Young, playoff hopeful team, probably a couple pieces away. You trade those what would usually be mid-round draft picks or mid, yeah, mid-round first-round draft picks. Well, now you bring in Deshaun Watson, your team is probably a playoff team. Depending on how far you go, obviously you have aspirations to go deep in the playoffs, and now those draft picks turn into later first-round draft picks, and it makes no sense for the Texans to move on. Now, if the Texans were to trade Deshaun Watson to Miami, they're obviously going to get Tua Tunga Viola in return. But where else could we see Deshaun Watson go? Denver, Las Vegas, Detroit. I mean, I know they just got Jared Goff, but that team's really going nowhere with Jared Goff. You bring in uh, Deshaun Watson, you're probably still not going anywhere. And then I heard on the radio a rumor about Deshaun Watson potentially going to the Arizona Cardinals in a Kyler Murray and a first-round pick for Deshaun Watson trade. If I'm the Arizona Cardinals, you do not do that. You spent a first-round, first-overall pick on Kyler Murray. He still has two years, uh, three years technically, of rookie contract control. You're young, up-and-coming. You can use that money on veterans or other star players. Plus, you don't want to lose a draft pick. I mean, for Deshaun Watson, who still has the legal issues, it's so hard to wrap your head around it. At any point, this dude could get suspended. Go to jail. I mean... I don't think that's what's going to happen because obviously the legal side of Deshaun Watson's life has been kind of uh, dulled in the past couple months. But still, it is something a potential trade suitor needs to consider. Where do I see Deshaun Watson going at the end of all this? I don't even know. I don't even know. He is adamant about not playing for the Texans. And I believe that. Would he sit out and risk losing uh, $50,000 a day during camp? I don't know, in whatever the game check is. I mean, at his age, it'd be kind of stupid because he's tied in with that team for the next, I don't even know how many years, whatever that new contract is. But, you know, you look at Aaron Rodgers, who said that he wants out of Green Bay, and he wasn't reporting, but he can afford it. He's 37, 38 years old. He has, you know... State Farm commercials, hosting Jeopardy uh, periodically. Plus, he has all the money that he's made over the course of his career, plus a nice current fat contract that he's under. He can afford to miss those days in efforts to resolve that problem. Obviously, then you hear about the Devontae Adams where he doesn't want to sign an extension until the Aaron Rodgers thing is situated, but that's a whole nother can of worms that we can discuss later on. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I don't blame myself for wanting to be out of Houston. That team is literally going nowhere. Now, I was a firm believer that the Texans should have traded Deshaun Watson way back when, before the draft, whatever. Maybe you could have used a draft pick from whoever to draft one of the five quarterbacks that was in the draft. Maybe. Maybe a missed opportunity, especially when those five quarterbacks all went within the top 15 picks of the first round. 
I understand that uh, Miami had your original third overall pick that they originally traded that they would end up trading to San Francisco. But you could have made a trade. You could have sent Deshaun Watson out to San Francisco, got that third round pick back or whatever it may be. Now they also have uh, Laramie Tunsil. What are you going to do with him? Be pointless to keep him. Might as well just trade him. Completely reset this thing, right? That team is a dumpster fire. Now, I do ha- I can't put all the blame on the Houston Texans here for sucking, not wanting to trade their star quarterback. After going years without a superstar quarterback, they finally have one who's young, who's, a nice, who's under a long contract. But if I'm Deshaun Watson, you can't sign that long contract and then the next year be like, oh, I don't want to play for this team anymore. I don't blame him for securing the bag with all that guaranteed money and then wanting to go play for a different team. But why don't you just wait it out, hit the market, and just make market money on any team that you wish? Because the fifth-year option for the first-round rookie deal is still very good money. It just... I can't put all the blame on the Texans because they did their part. Drafted you, developed you, made you into a superstar, gave you the bag. They had Deshaun Watts. DeAndre Hopkins, excuse me. They ended up trading him, which is whatever. But, I mean, the blame does has, also has to be pointed to Deshaun Watson for signing the contract extension with the Texans and then wanting to not play for the Texans anymore. Like I said, I don't blame him for wanting to get the bag and get that guaranteed money. That's so scummy, though. That's so, so scummy. Now, at that time, did he want to be with them? I don't remember at that time when he signed that extension if DeAndre Hopkins was traded then. I don't remember. I don't remember how the timeline played out. But if he signed that contract extension while DeAndre Hopkins was still a Texan, then I 100% do not blame him for wanting to get traded out of uh, Houston. Do not blame him at that point. But if he was already traded, if uh, DeAndre Hopkins was already traded, and then Deshaun Watson signed that contract, then I blame Watson in this situation. It's a fascinating situation. It really is. I mean, a lot of headaches down in Houston. That team's a dumpster fire. They could absolutely go 0-17 this year. I think they are the underdogs in every single game this year against whoever they're playing on their schedule. And I, I honestly do not see them winning a game if Deshaun Watson is not their quarterback. And I, quite frankly, don't think he will be. But I also don't see a team paying five high draft picks in starting caliber players for a guy with off-field legal issues pending. Just my opinion. Obviously, I want to hear yours, whether it's in the comment section down below here on YouTube, or if you're listening on audio-only platforms, reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for sports talk. This Deshaun Watson thing is definitely crazy. Obviously, you got the whole Aaron Rodgers situation that's kind of up in the air as well, how he turned down a three-year extension that would make him the highest-paid player and the highest-paid, I guess the highest-paid quarterback first and then the highest-paid player in NFL history. He declined it, obviously more money than Patrick Mahomes' contract, yearly at least. So he's clearly not in it for the money. It's going to be interesting how that situation dissolves itself. So two two superstar quarterbacks in this league could potentially be on the move before week one of the regular season. They may sit out and they may get traded before the trade deadline, which is, I believe, week nine. I don't know if they moved it at all because of the 17th game. I don't think so, but I could be mistaken. Week eight, I believe it is, actually. But anyways, that's going to be our football fill for the day. I'm very excited for the Patriots uh, training camp, really, and then preseason right around the corner. So much to look into or look ahead of for the Patriots. Obviously, we'll discuss more about that as the preseason kind of ramps up. What I'm looking for um, each player, well, not each player, but, you know, by positions, you know, star players, uh, players that maybe need to show out, impress, people that we just brought in want to see what they can do but that's going to be for a later episode probably won't dive into that until next week but just uh keep your uh let's see keep your ears out for that because you're not really i mean unless you watch it on youtube you can keep your eyes out for it uh stay tuned for that i guess i don't know it's kind of a tricky one anyways let's talk about this san san diego padres trade let's switch over to baseball here 
So like I mentioned at the top of the episode, the San Diego Padres made a splash in the trade market, making a trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is the second trade to go down here in trade deadline season. Obviously, the first one was Nelson Cruz going from the Minnesota Twins to the Tampa Bay Rays. The second trade is the San Diego Padres acquiring second baseman and outfielder Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he is someone that I really wanted the Red Sox to go after. And obviously with the uh, surprisingly decent good play that we're seeing from Jaron Duran thus far, it made no sense apps to bring him in. And Kike Hernandez, who I still doesn't think should be the leadoff hitter, has been playing better over the past, uh, over the month of July, really, past couple weeks now. So it just made no sense for the Red Sox to invest in an Adam Frazier type player. But do keep in mind, he is under contract for the rest of this year and next year as well. So the Padres are getting some good value by bringing this guy in. In exchange, the Pirates are acquiring right-hander Mitchell Miliano, shortstop to Supita, Marcano, and outfielder Jack Sawinski. Oh, that was a mouthful right there. Anyways, Pittsburgh is also sending approximately $1.4 million to the Padres in the deal, according to the Associated Press. Frazier entered Sunday hitting 327, where this, uh, which is the second best average in Major League Baseball. He is also hitting four home runs and 32 RBIs. I just think he is exactly what any playoff hopeful, playoff hopeful lineup needs. Someone that's versatile, someone that gets on base, can drive in some runs. And obviously, it's definitely a plus that uh, he's under contract, not for the rest of this year, but also all of next year as well. The $1.4 million to the Padres is a little interesting one. I guess the Pirates get better prospects, and then the Padres in return get the player and money. Doesn't seem all too bad. Padres have been wheeling and dealing past two years. Literally, they traded for Mitch Moreland. They traded for Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, now Adam Frazier. Like, my goodness, slow the hell down, guys. How many how many good prospects do you potentially have? And, like, they didn't even trade their best prospects. Like, I mean, I don't know where these guys rank in the Padres farm system, but it's no C.J. Abrams or that uh, catcher, Lucheso, Lucchesi, I forget his name, who was actually also rumored to be on the trade market, believe it or not. Anyways, Adam Frazier, second name off the board for Major League Baseball's trade deadline season. He is going to, oh, excuse me. He is going to the Padres where I guess they say they're going to use him in a super utility role, which I think is kind of trash. I think you should just have him center fielder, you know, one, two in the lineup. I mean, if you see, if he's hitting 327, just put him at friggin' one. Seriously. Jay Cronenworth is the current second baseman right there. So it makes no sense to sit him out for Adam Frazier. I think Adam Frazier should, I mean, if you want to bounce him around a little bit, you know, left, center, right, second base, fine. But he needs to be in the lineup every single day. You're investing three prospects into this guy who has the second best average in all of baseball right now. I understand that the home runs and the RBIs may not be there, but look at the team he's on or was on in the Pirates. He's not driving him any runs. Home runs, that's kind of a uh, self-statistic. I like this trade by the Padres. The rich get richer. You cannot have enough uh, you know, good players, star players, versatility, utility on your team, especially come playoffs, especially being in the National League, where the National League is going by uh, their own rules, where the pitcher hits in no DH, like unlike they did last year. Makes sense. I guess there's really no need for them to acquire pitching because, you know, they already acquired so much pitching this past offseason. But I could see them also adding a bullpen arm. I mean, the Giants this year, sneaky good. The Dodgers also very good as always. So is this Adam Frazier trade going to be enough to get the Padres not only into the playoffs, but win the World Series, right? I mean, let's just start with the, the wild card of the NLDS, NLCS. But I think this is a move that you know really helps them. It makes them a little bit more consistent in terms of hitting the ball. I like this trade. I wish Adam Frazier was traded to the Red Sox, but I understand why the Red Sox didn't pursue him. And I really think that the Padres are not done yet with uh, making their team better for this coming postseason run. With that being said, and like I mentioned earlier, I do have some names 
potential trade targets come trade deadline season that I could see on the move. And they're not just slugs. They're not just kind of, uh, you know, what Mitch Moreland was last year, just kind of like a bench bolster, someone that's uh, very, you know, a role player, situational, no one like that. These are all star players in our league today that have been linked to potential trade rumors to this team, that team, this team, that team. So I'm going to break down right now. Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I guess I have 11 names. Thought I had 10, thought I had 12. I have 11 names of players who I think will be traded and where I think they'll be traded to. In no way, shape, or form is this accurate, correct, going to be, will be. It's just what I think, my opinions. First one, Craig Kimbrell, currently with the Chicago Cubs. I believe he will be traded, period. But I think he'll be traded to the Houston Astros. Astros are in a tough American League West with the Oakland Athletics right down their throat. You got the Seattle Mariners surprisingly not that far in the rearview mirror. Uh, Let me check the standings right now. Mariners are seven games out. The Athletics are five and a half games out. So I guess I misspoke there. I thought they were only like two games out. I guess going seven and three for the Astros in their past 10 does help. But I mean, five and a half games out, seven games out for the Athletics and Mariners respectively is not all that much in the grand scheme of things. I just think the Astros could use some more bullpen pieces as well. I think that would significantly help their chances this coming October, which they are more than likely October bound. Their lineup is still very good. Their starting rotation is still very good. Every team that has playoff hopes will be in the playoffs, should be in the playoffs, will be in the playoffs, whatever, can always use a little bit of bolstering in a certain area, especially in pitching. And I don't think the Astros are an exception to that. Now, am I sold on Craig Kimbrell going to the Astros? No. I can also see him going to the Mets. I could even see him going to the Giants. Phillies, maybe not. I I don't see him going to any of the American League teams, quite frankly. Maybe the Rays. Uh, maybe not. I mean, that might be a little bit of stretch. But I think the Astros is probably the only American League team that I see him going to, and I think that'd be a good fit. I think the Astros can match whatever the asking price may be, and I think that's where he'll go. Number two. Oh, this is no order, by the way. This is just guys I thought of throwing it on a piece of paper. Number two, Joey Gallo, currently with the Texas Rangers, been in a bunch of trade rumors basically all season. He does have this year and next year um, as he's under contract for a year and a half. So he's not a rental player. And I believe he will go to the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers have become the sole favorites of the National League Central. The Cincinnati Reds are up and coming, though. Uh, I guess they're in a little bit of slump right now. But they are six and a half games back behind the Brewers. But I think just, I mean, the Brewers, not are they in a competitive division? But you have the Giants, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, the Phillies. I mean, although the Braves are five games out of first place in the National League East and they just lost Ronald Acuna Jr. and who just traded for Jock Peterson, but you do have some competitive teams around you, and I don't think that the Brewers will be competing with them because I don't think there's a competition for the National League Central. I think it's the Brewers' division. But come October, though, I mean, you got some good teams with some good pitching. And... You know, besides Christian Yelich, I think the outfield, I mean, including Christian Yelich, I guess, the outfield for the Brewers has been a little uh, underwhelming. I know you still have Christian Yelich, but he's having a seriously down season this year. And I really think bringing in someone like a, a Joey Gallo could really help with that pop and also his versatility defensively. And plus his defensive abilities, right? He's super good defensively. Number three, Anthony Rizzo. I really, uh, this is a tough one. I mean, I see him only going to like one team and that's actually the Red Sox, not to be a homer, but I do really think the Red Sox make a move on him, him or Jose Aguilar, who I've mentioned a couple times before. I do think that the Marlins will trade him. I just don't know exactly where. So I guess you could pencil in Anthony Rizzo slash Jose Aguilar. I'd rather have Anthony Rizzo just because he's a very good leader He's good defensively at first base. Jose Aguilar drives in a bunch of runs, but he's kind of a, you know, 
home run or bust kind of guy. He's not the best defensively. He has driven in the most runs in the National League, so I do have to give him credit there. But I personally would rather have Anthony Rizzo for all the other intangibles. Quite frankly, it was a contract due up at the end of the season. The Cubs are currently in fourth place, 49-51, and 51, nine games back from the Brewers. They were like a game or two behind them until they got like four games swept by said Brewers. I think it would be a smart move for not only the Cubs to sell, but to sell hard on their players. Uh, I'll talk about Chris Bryant, Javier Baez in a little bit. But Red Sox, they do need some help at first base. Bobby Dahlbeck isn't getting the job done. And if you could platoon Dahlbeck and Anthony Rizzo at first base, depending on who's pitching, I don't think that's that bad. I mean, like I said, you bring Anthony Rizzo brings leadership, defensive ability. He has uh, some pop in that bat. He's a lefty. A lot of good things right there, and I think you can get them fairly cheap from a team that's A, selling, B, not competitive, and C, a player that's going to be a rental. So Anthony Rizzo to the Red Sox is what I am predicting. Chris Bryant, the other cornerstone player for the Chicago Cubs, I do think he'll be on the move. Will I be surprised if he stays? No. But I do think he'll be on the move, and I think the Athletics will make a play on him. Now, Chris Bryant... Normally known as a third baseman, but can also play all three outfields in the position. Wow, did I say that all backwards? All three positions in the outfield. Plus, he can also play first base alongside his home at third base. You have Matt Chapman at third base. You have Matt Olson at first base. So you're more than likely going to get Chris Bryant somewhere in the outfield, which I think is totally fine. That bat will definitely go nicely in that athletics lineup. Uh, the versatility will be more than welcome, plus his durability, plus his hitting ability would be a great addition to that lineup all the way around. The Athletics, like I said, are five and a half game, five and a half games back behind the Houston Astros, so they definitely do need some, uh, some bolstering there. I know Trevor Story was kind of linked to the Athletics to uh, replace Elvis Andrews at shortstop. However, that has kind of fizzled. I could totally see the Athletics still trying to acquire Trevor Story. I don't think they would acquire both Story and Bryant. It would be one or the other, and I'm currently predicting that Chris Bryant goes to the Athletics. I could also see Chris Bryant going to a team like the Mets, the Giants even. Phillies, I don't, maybe, maybe. I mean, Alec Bohm is the third baseman right, right now. Reese Hoskins is the first baseman right now for the Phillies. Like I said, Chris Bryant has experience in all three outfield spots. So the versatility is such a is so important, such a high commodity come trade deadline because you're not only acquiring a player that can hit the ball very well and play defense very well, but you're also acquiring a player that can play defense very well at multiple positions. So Chris Bryant to the Athletics is where I'm predicting right now. It'll either be Bryant or Story to the Athletics and I do have Trevor Story later on where I will be discussing my you know potential landing spot for Trevor Story. But right now, as it is, one or the other, Story or Chris Bryant to the Athletics, and I'm currently predicting Chris Bryant. Now, Kyle Gibson, Texas Rangers ace stud right now, having a great season, been in trade rumors basically all year ever since he's uh, really shown out as a tremendous star this year. I currently have him being traded to the San Francisco Giants. He's been linked to the Red Sox. He's been linked to the Rays. Been linked to the White Sox. It's been linked, oh my goodness, almost everywhere. Mets, Phillies, uh, Dodgers. I do see him going to the San Francisco Giants because that two-game lead over the Los Angeles Dodgers is kind of too close for comfort, I would think, if I'm the San Francisco Giants. And if I'm looking at the Dodgers, I know they have more superstar talent than we do. If I'm the Giants and I'm looking at the Padres, I know they have more su- more superstar talent than we do. So we need to bolster ourselves. And in my opinion, pitching is the most valuable asset come playoffs. And if you can load up on pitching to help slow down uh, the Dodgers or the Padres or the Brewers who I'm predicting to get better, then you're going to need pitching to help combat that. And I think Kyle Gibson would be a great fit in San Francisco. And honestly, that is where I think he'll go. Like I said, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Mets are all places that I could also see him going. But I'm going to predict Kyle Gibson going to the San Francisco Giants. Now, going back to 
the Chicago Cubs, Javier Baez, who I did kind of allude to earlier. He's an interesting one. His contract's up at the end of the season. And quite frankly, it would be stupid and foolish for the Cubs not to trade him, just like Trevor Story in the Colorado Rockies. But I don't know what the Cubs do. He's still young. He's going to be like 28, 29 maybe. 27, 28, 29. He's got versatility. Shortstop, second base, third base. He can even play a little center field even. I think you know he's young enough that the Cubs might try to re-sign him and try to build for the future around Baez. So I'm currently predicting Baez to not get traded at this deadline. I think the Cubs trading Kimbrel, Rizzo, and Bryant is going to be more than enough to kind of replenish their farm system, kind of uh, plan for the future. And they're not going to want to completely diminish their whole team because that's just not going to look good for the fan base. To lose Kimbrel, who they probably don't have too uh, too much fondness over, but to lose Rizzo, to lose Bryant, there's two stabs in the heart for Cub fans. Then to lose Baez on top of that, it's just like, oh, people would be hating, hating the Chicago Cubs uh, management for trading all three of their beloved players, and I guess you want to include Kimbrel for them. So I do think that they'll keep Javier Baez. Now, I'm not sold on that idea. I could see them trading Baez and keeping Chris Bryant, for example. But where could we see uh, Javier Baez go if he was to get traded? Well, the Mets, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Giants even, in the American League. I could see him going to the Athletics, the Mariners. So there's some potential options out there or yeah, trade options out there for Javier Baez. But like at the end of the day, like I said, I don't see him going anywhere. It would be way too much heat for the Cubs to handle if they trade away four of their star players, three of them who fans absolutely love. So Javier Baez not being traded is my prediction, but I would not be surprised if he does get moved. Next up, going back to the pitching mound, we have Jose Barrios, the Minnesota Twins. Now, we've already seen them trade Nelson Cruz, 40, 41-year-old designated hitter who can still hit the ball very, very well. Jose Barrios, though, young pitcher. He's got some team control left. Got electric stuff on a crappy team, not having the best of season. There's a lot of uh, rumors out there that the Yankees would be really in on him. I even think at at a time the Mets, I think, were even in on him. Mets, Phillies, maybe, might have been in on him. And I'm currently predicting that he will also not get traded this year because I think he's just such a young asset that the Twins don't want to move. And I really believe that the Twins are expecting to only suck for this year and to bounce right back next year. And if they do want to bounce back next year, then they're going to need a young stud at the head of their rotation. And I think that's Jose Barrios. So that's why I don't think they trade him. Young, electric, good stuff, having a down year, team control, all reasons why that he does not get traded. Would I be surprised if he does get traded? And in his case, I would be. I'd be very, very, very surprised if the Minnesota Twins do move on from Jose Barrios. Sticking with the Minnesota Twins, though, I will be talking about Josh Donaldson now. Similar to Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson is older. He's like 34, maybe, 33, 34. Uh, third baseman, DH. I think he's played some first base as well. And I think that the Twins should trade him because he's not really in the Twins' future, right? Jose Barrios, Max Kepler, they're part of the future. Nelson Cruz and Josh Donaldson, not so much. Now, would I be surprised if they don't move him? No, I don't think so, but I think they should move him. And I think the Mets would be a good fit to kind of bolster third base would be very nice. I don't really see other teams trading for him, really. I'm just trying to go around the league right now. Uh, I don't know. White Sox, maybe? Uh, that might be a little bit of a stretch there. Athletics? Maybe kind of have Donaldson be the DH. Mariners? If they really want to kind of make a push at it. I don't see any teams in the Red Sox division making a move for Donaldson. So, I mean, his trade, tar- his trade target options are very slim in comparison to other players we've talked about. So, that's why I'm not surprised he wouldn't be moved. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if a team just, you know, kind of throws a low ball. If they take it, they take it kind of offer and the offer gets accepted, right? I mean, he can still hit the ball. He can still play a little bit of defense. I wouldn't be surprised if he does uh, get moved. I think he should get moved. But then again, I'm not going to hold my breath to it. Now we have a couple Yankees players that I want to talk about. Now, I've been joking around on social media with my friend Evan and other Yankees fans that the Yankees should be sellers at the deadline. That I think the Yankees currently, right now, are 51-47. and They are nine games out of first place. Let me pull up the uh, MLB wildcard standings because I never have it up when I talk about it. Yankees are currently three and a half games back of the wild card behind the Oakland Athletics. So they're still within striking distance. And the whole purpose of the second wild card spot is to make more teams competitive. Seattle, game and a half back. This is of the second wild card spot. Seattle, game and a half back. Yankees, three and a half. Toronto, four. Cleveland, five. Uh, Los Angeles Angels, five and a half. Those teams are relatively still in the picture. Now, if you get rid of the second wildcard spot and just have the one wildcard like it was before, Tampa Bay currently has a four and a half game lead on Oakland for the first wildcard spot. So essentially, you're adding four and a half games on top of everything I just said. So one and a half now turns into six for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Three and a half turns into eight games back for the Yankees. So you, you get the idea, right? That's why the second wild card spot is so important for baseball because it makes so many more teams competitive and in the playoff picture. Because if that second wild card spot wasn't there, the only team that would be theoretically in the wild card picture is the Oakland Athletics at four and a half games back. So currently, all jokes aside, I don't see the Yankees trading their players away. I, I On my list, I put Gary Sanchez and D, DJ LeMahieu. Now, realistically, I don't see them trading. I don't see them selling. Could they be buyers? Absolutely. Would it make sense? Probably not. Now, I can see them making a minor move here, buy a player here, sell a player there, just to kind of slightly jumble things up, I guess. I don't see big major splashes coming from this team. I don't think they have what it takes, especially losing three out of four to the Red Sox over this past weekend, which I will touch upon in a little bit. If they were able to sweep the Red Sox or take three or four themselves, different story. But sitting nine games back of the Red Sox and then, what is it, three and a half games back of the Athletics? Yeah, you're still there, but it's definitely a lot more challenging. So the reason why I put Gary Sanchez is because his defensive abilities blow behind the plate absolutely suck and he oftentimes has to dh and stan will either sit or he'll play the outfield and stan's not the best left fielder or outfielder for that matter so the yankee and and, i mean you just watch any yankees games gary sanchez is so lazy behind the plate he's always on one knee whenever runners are on base whenever a curveball or breaking ball is being thrown and he just can't get down and block in front of the ball so it goes by him runners advance whatever it just cost the Yankees um, base runners. It cost the Yankees, or defensively, the base runners. It cost the Yankees runs, and it oftentimes cost them games. And I think if I'm the Yankees, I would just trade them and just kind of hope for the best. You get a decent package in return and just go there. He could be the guy you sell, and then you could buy someone else. DJ LeMahieu I put on this list because he's older. He could, he could help a, play, a legitimate playoff team. And if I'm the Yankees looking two, three, four, five years ahead, I don't see DJ LeMahieu in my future. I don't see him in my plans. Aaron Judge, I see. Giancarlo Stanton, I see. Clay Torres, I see. Garrett Cole, I see. I see all those players in my future, but I don't see DJ LeMahieu if I'm the Yankees. So that's kind of why I put him on this list. Do I see the Yankees trading him? Maybe not. Just like I said with Gary Sanchez, could he be a player that they uh, they sell here, buy someone else there? Yeah, wouldn't really sit well with Yankees fans. But, I mean, if I'm the Yankees, though, you got to look at it realistically. And I think they would want DJ LeMahieu to be a part of a potential playoff hopeful team this year. And I think he will be at the end of the day. That's why I put both Sanchez and DJ LeMahieu 
as no trade players. The last player, the absolute last player that I want to talk about, but I am not limiting this list to for potential trade targets and prediction of landing spot is Trevor Story. One of the biggest names on the trade market, basically the, the whole season, really. And oh, it's so hard to gauge his market. It really is because he has this year left of his contract. So he's a rental player. He is a star player, but he's having a down season this year. So what, what, where's the value really? And if I'm the Rockies, I want to at least get something back, right? Because I know that he's not going to re-sign with us. I mean, look at what they did with Arenado. Nolan Arenado signed a contract extension, but they realized that we suck. Not, um, the Rockies didn't realize that he sucked. The Rockies realized that they don't, they suck. So they traded him and got a good haul back. And they were hoping to do probably something the same with Trevor Story. But imagine trading Story and Nolan Arenado in the same offseason. My goodness, if I was them, and I'm sure they would like to go back, trade Trevor Story first, then halfway through the season, trade Nolan Arenado. Because that's, that package probably would have been there come July 30th. But the package that you would have received back in December, January, for Trevor Story is now gone because of the underperformance and you're not going to get a full year out of him. So where do I see him going? Well, I've actually seen him going to a plethora of teams, quite frankly. I There's been the Yankees have been rumored. The White Sox have been rumored. The Athletics have been rumored. The Mariners have been rumored. Who else? Who's in the National League? The Mets, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Giants even have probably all been rumored. And I'm going to say, now I've been on board that Trevor Story was going to get traded to the Athletics. And I think that's still a possibility. Like I said earlier with Chris Bryant, the Athletics will get one or the other. And I picked that the Athletics would get Chris Bryant, so that kind of crosses off Trevor's story. But, you know, could still happen one way or the other. But I'm going to say that the Brewers get Trevor's story. So the Brewers making two big splashes, acquiring Joey Gallo and Trevor's story. Could I see that happening? Yes. Is it likely to happen? Probably not. Maybe. Who knows? If I'm the Brewers, do I get one of those guys and then also get a pitcher? I think that'd be a smarter play. But if you can go get Joey Gallo and then a discounted price on Trevor's story, you can't say no. Yes, I know you just traded for Willie Adamas uh, at the end of April or early May, whenever it was. But you have a chance to get Trevor Story, all-star, gold glover, Someone that can really, you know, throw in the middle of your lineup and make an impact. Because like I said, when I was talking about Joey Gallo, you will have the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves, the Giants, Dodgers, Padres, all fighting for playoff spots. And then the the Cincinnati Reds are six and a half games back. I did say that the division is the Brewers, but six six and a half games back is nothing to take lightly. Like I've always said, six, seven, eight games you're kind of still in it. A lot of things have to go right if you're the team that's behind, and a lot of things have to go wrong if you're the team ahead. Do I see the Cincinnati Reds making uh, a move? I didn't predict anything, but I'm not crossing them off as a team to actually make a play. Who would they get? Could I see them getting a Trevor Story? Sure. Could I see them getting a Kyle Gibson? Sure. Maybe a Craig Kimbrell? Sure, but I don't think that's going to be impactful enough to make up six and a half games in the division. All that being said, it's going to be tough for really any team besides one or two of the three Giants, Dodgers, and Padres to win the wild card. Because if you look at it, the Giants have 62 wins, the Dodgers have 61, the Padres have 58 wins, respectively. One of those teams will get the division, and the other two will get the wild card. And if you look at it, the second place in the National League East, the Phillies have 49 wins. The second place team in the Central has 51 wins. So that's basically going to be the two wildcard spots will basically be the two teams that don't win the National League West. So there's my predictions for Major League Baseball's trade deadline, which is this Friday, July 30th, I think at 4 p.m. It's usually how it's been. Hopefully that didn't change. In no way, shape, or form are my predictions correct, accurate, will be, or I'm saying that they will be. 
They're just my predictions of potential trade targets that I think could be, will be, and should be on the move. I gave you rhymes and reasons for all these players being potentially moved. I gave you rhymes and reasons on why these players will be traded to where I said or think that they will be traded to. Those are what I'm saying, though. I want to hear what you're saying. I know I just rambled on for about 20, 25, 30 minutes. I don't even know how long about the trade deadline. But reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Or reach out to me through the comment section down below if you're listening on YouTube. I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. Maybe this player will not get traded. Maybe that player will get traded, but to a different team. And maybe I'm just speaking out of my rear end saying that this player will go there or that team will make a trade for that player. I'm only t- I'm just talking into this microphone talking to you guys, you know, I'm just kind of going off of what I think, what I feel. But I also want to know your opinion as well. So like I said, reach out to me whether it's through social media or if it's through the YouTube comments down below. Now, I do want to talk about the Red Sox here after winning four, uh, excuse me, 3 of 4 from the Red Sox. Oh my God, after they won three of four from the Yankees, the Red Sox had a great weekend this past weekend. They beat the Yankees 5-4 on Thursday, 6-2 on Friday. They lost 4-3 on Saturday, and then yesterday they won 5-4 yet again. They were no hit for seven full innings. Then they came back to score five runs in the bottom of the eighth, eventually winning 5-4. Best comeback of the season? I think so. Yeah, Yankees really needed to win that series. Uh, Split would have been nice, but I think winning that series for the Yankees was absolutely crucial and a must for them, hence why I've been kind of saying that they're sellers at this deadline, jokingly and in part seriousness. But I also think that the Yankees, in terms of any playoff hopes, needed to win this series, not just because it's the Red Sox, but I think every win for this team, for the Yankees, matters at this point. But the Red Sox really holding their own against the division rival, Obviously, they still hold a one-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 7-3 in their last 10. Red Sox are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Red Sox-Rays, baby. It's going to be Red Sox-Rays. Rays made a move, made a splash at the deadline. Red Sox, it's your turn as well. I predicted Anthony Rizzo, but it could be anybody. They have a three, a four-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Fenway starting tonight. That'll last until Thursday. And then they go to Tropicana to play the Tampa Bay Rays for a crucial, crucial three-game series down there in St. Petersburg. Red Sox, they're doing very well. They're doing very well. They're exceeding expectations. They are currently tied for the best record in the American League. And they do not hold the best record in baseball. That is belonged to the San Francisco Giants. Red Sox, they cannot stand still, sit on their hands, come the deadline, let it pass by without doing anything at all. They need, 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 need to do something. Don't let other teams around you get better because you have Tanner Houck. You have Jaron Durand now up there at the majors. You have Chris Sale coming back. Don't let that fool you as an excuse not to still improve your team. Go out, even if it's a minor move. I think Anthony Rizzo, maybe not a minor move, but a a good enough move to help you, whether you're over the top already or at least stay on top already of not only the Rays and the Yankees in the division, but the White Sox and the Astros and the Athletics and everyone else that's competitive in the American League. You can't let other teams around you get better and you not do anything. In 2018... You brought in Ian Kinsler. You brought in Steve Pierce. You brought in Nathan Ivaldi. You made moves on a great team that was already great. And you made that team better. Now, you did have Dave Dombrowski at the time, who was a much more aggressive GM. And you have Heim Bloom, who was a much more conservative, you know, win-from-within kind of team, uh, team mindset guy. But I think some aggressivity will come from him soon enough. I really think so. And only time will tell with that. But I do think the Red Sox need to make one move at least. Two moves would be ideal, like I've been saying. Whether it's uh, a left-handed bat in the outfield, which seems to be Jaron Duran's uh, role now, so that may be fine. Maybe you still bring in a left-handed bat. Maybe someone that can be uh, a platoon guy, whether it's in the infield or in the outfield. A pitcher, even. I don't know. Maybe a guy like an Adam Frazier who has a high-contact kind of numbers. 
I'd like to see that nice average in the lineup would be very pleasant to see, which I don't think anybody would not welcome. Pitching, maybe an arm in the bullpen. I know I've kind of said that you don't need to um, add an arm to the bullpen, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt, especially a guy in expiring contract. You trade one or two low prospects for him. It only helps you this year. So those are my thoughts and opinions on the Red Sox leading up to the deadline and basically as of late for them. Any other thoughts that I have about the Red Sox? I mean, their offense has been relatively consistent ever since the uh, All-Star break ended. Let's see, one run, one run, 13, 7, 5, 6, 3, 5. I'd like to see a little bit better of improvement. Those two one-run games, uh, Saturday and Sunday against the Yankees last week, was kind of tough to watch. But at the end of the day, it wasn't all too bad, especially when you are scoring 13, 7, 5, 6, 5 runs. So it doesn't hurt. But going seven innings without a hit and then being able to miraculously come back and win against the Yankees is something I don't want to get used to and be comfortable to. Hence why having a nice high-contact guy in your lineup would be much appreciated because having someone that's not focused on power and home runs like an Adam Frazier will be so welcome because you just hit the ball other way up the middle and he gets on base and that's his only job be super nice to have something like that or some guy like that in our lineup lastly before we go before we go I do kind of want to touch upon the Bruins and their draft from Friday I do have to preface, uh, pre- preface, what was the word I'm looking for? Pre- I think it's preface, right? Yeah. Anyways, before I talk about the draft, I need to say that I am in no way, shape or form a hockey draft expert. All these guys on this list, I know none of them. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, uh, Ooh, the first round pick Fabian Lysel was a great right winger in Sweden. And it's going to be a great pick for the Bruins in two years. Not gonna sit here and say that. Or the goalie, Philip Svedback, from also also from Sweden, ironically enough, is going to be a great player. Not gonna say that because I have no freaking idea. But I will sit here and say this. This draft class for the Bruins might be one of the most important draft classes in a long time. Why is that? Because look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are very good. And they're going to be good for a long time, for the next next five years. Okay, they've won two cups back to back. Okay, you have the New York Islanders, who are a tough, good team. They beat you in the second round. They're more than likely going to stay good as well for the next uh, couple handful of years. Pittsburgh, uh, I almost said Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Penguins. They've been good. They're a staple. They're always good. And they're going to continue to be good probably for the next five years themselves. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, say what you want about them. They're kind of, you know, not terrible. Then you have the Washington Capitals, a team that's been good. I know Alexander Ovechkin's kind of a question mark these days, so, you know, his contract status. But you have to expect, I don't know if he'll come back. I'm not going to say that, but you have to expect them to be relatively decent, right? Basically, what I'm trying to say is these teams that I listed are hopefully projected or will be good within the next five years. Now you look at the Bruins for the next five years. Will they be good? Well, you're going to have Patrice Bergeron, almost 40. You're going to have Brad Marchand, a couple years behind that. Uh, Tuka Rask, who's probably not going to be back this year. He'll be gone. David Krejci is a free agent now. He'll be gone. Taylor Hall's new four-year, $24 million contract will have expired. You already lost Jeremy Lozon. Brandon Carlo's contract will have one more year left. Charlie McAvoy will probably be making $8, 9000000 million a year. Jeremy Swayman, if he is your starting quarterback, he's going to be ma- uh, quarterback. Oh, my God. Wow, it's been a long day. Your starting goalie, he'll be making probably a lot of money if you expect him to be good, which hopefully he will be good. So this draft class, and you could argue last year's draft class as well, is immensely important and super vital for the continuing success of the Boston Bruins. Because when you look at other teams, whether it's in the East or the West, and you look at their five-year projections, 
because, and you can say to yourself, this team is going to be good because of that. Or this team is good and will be good because of that. Can you do that with the Bruins right now? And I say no. This team has a short window to win now. They were almost on, they almost won in 2019. Then they lost. They, you know, in the playoffs, second round, uh, last year lost. This past year, second round lost. So they're right on the brink. They are right on the edge. And one of those players from your core, Zidane Chara, is now gone. Tuka Rask, another player from that core, more than likely gone. David Krejci, another player from that core, potentially gone. People and players from your core are slowly being picked off. The time to win, if you're the Bruins, is now. Because in five years, I don't know what this team is going to look like. And right now, as it stands, the Bruins do not have the best farm system. They do not have the best minor leagues. And they do not have a good pool of prospects. Hence why the drafting of this year, and you can argue last year, which I'm not going to go into because I didn't cover it, is so crucial for this team's longing success. Now, could they have made some trades to sacrifice the future in order to win now? Maybe that Arizona Coyotes trade for Connor Garland? Sure. Could the Bruins have sold us on that idea? Absolutely. Would we have bought into it? Hell yeah. Didn't happen. So they're also trying to win now, hence why they brought Taylor Hall back. And they're also planning for the future, which is smart. Can't blame them for that. But in comparison to the other great teams in this league, you are the next team to fall off. And you are the next team to fall off very, very hard. That's why the drafting for the Boston Bruins is so crucial this year and also last year. Because when I look at the Bruins in five years from now, Patrice Bergeron may still be on the team at 40 years old. Brad Marchand may still be on the team at 37, 38, whatever he will be then. Other than that, I have no idea what this team will look like. And it's going to start with the guys down in Providence, the guys that they've drafted, and the guys that they're developing, plus the young guys that are currently on the team. Hence why losing Jeremy Lozon was a huge blow. And hence why trading Jake DeBrus should be a major priority for this team. And if they don't, then Jake DeBrus better score friggin' 35 goals this year or I'm going to be salty. Anyways, I'm not going to rant too much about the Boston Bruins because theoretically, I think it's been a really good offseason so far for them, especially being able to re-sign Taylor Hall and Brandon Carlo. Losing Jeremy Lozon, I think... Not a lot of Bruins fans will lose sleep over the draft class. Have no idea. We'll see in a couple years. Hopefully it can develop and help our prospect pool and minor leagues flourish. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for joining me for episode 76 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I dedicate this episode to my dad, whose birthday would have been today. He would have been 59 years old. So bless up to you, dad. I love you so much, and I miss you so, so much. But folks, ladies, gentlemen, guys, girls, Thank you so much for joining me. Please reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. If you have any thoughts, comments, opinions, questions, concerns, arguments, discussions that you want to have with me, I'd love to hear them and have that engagement with you. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please comment down below. I would love to hear that engagement from you over on YouTube as well, Murphs and Boston Sports Talk. And while you're on YouTube, please like the video if you enjoyed today's episode and also subscribe if you're new or haven't considered yet subscribing to the channel. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying today's episode. And I hope that you have a fantastic week this week. It's supposed to be nice today and I believe a little cooler tomorrow, but still nice. And also there's going to be some rain, I think Wednesday and Thursday, uh, according to what Kim told me. So I don't really know, but have a fantastic week. Enjoy yourself, work hard, be outside if able, and I will catch you for Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But between now and then, you know that I love you, and you know that I will always see ya. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.